1: Hey guys, welcome to this week's podcast. i got a whole bunch of stuff to talk about, and at the end, a pretty interesting interview with Limited Run Games. And also, Scott and I stopped by the Long Island Retro Gaming Expo this weekend, so let me just show some footage of that first real quick before I get into the news. Hey, what's up guys? Scott and I are driving back from the Long Island Retro Gaming Expo, and uh, it was very cool. What do you think,
2: Scott? I thought it was the coolest one of these that I've been to, because there was a lot of cool stuff there there's a little bit more rare stuff than i've seen at these other events and there was a whole aeronautics museum which had a lot of cool stuff to see too
1: yeah having all of the uh the space and aeronautics stuff in there too you basically got your admission got both which i think that kind of it was weird but good weird
2: yeah it was random because scattered throughout the museum there were like kids playing board games there was like a whole like board game type thing yep. and they would be sticking video games in the strangest places but the arcade that they had at the museum which wasn't part of the expo right. but was part of the museum was top notch.
1: Yeah that was the one that I, uh, I was there with Francisco aka the game hunter last year we did the video on um, and that was uh, they improved that section a lot because now it's a permanent installation it's not temporary but the thing that got me was the quality of the Tempest machine there.
2: They, Tempest was top notch, which I have never seen before in an either. arcade before. They had a top notch Star Wars arcade, and they had a, uh, a Vectrix and an Asteroids machine. So, on the Vector side of things, for Vector fans, it was very well represented.
1: And they did have the Vectrix and the Asteroid machines literally next to each other, so you could see exactly the quality difference and everything yeah. and really check it out.
2: Mm-hmm. And they had like one of every console. Not just behind glass, but with like, a controller sticking out, like, running so you could play. You know, it was some random Master System game and some yeah. random Intellivision. I got to play an actual Pong console, which I think I did once or twice when I was a kid, but to be honest with you, it's just been on my list of things to do that I haven't done in a million years. Like you Very satisfying.
1: The Atari Pong console, right? I was playing the Atari
2: Pong console, and then they have... I, it's like the original... Is it the Odyssey or something like that? It's the one that has, like, the got two spinner knobs on each on that like beige thing you and know, it would could have been, it. been the Odyssey. I don't It remember. could have been the I, I don't know exactly what console it was, but that was kind of interesting too, where you just I wasn't really playing a game but I was just moving a cursor around on the screen with these two controllers and um, I it was just something that I've seen in pop culture and I was it was very satisfying to tactile, to tactically be able to put my hands on the console like that. Yeah. And they had one for I I would say I don't think they had the newest consoles. They didn't have like a Switch or a PS4. Or no, well, I but like, them. other than that, they had like one of everything.
1: So I think you know what my favorite thing there was, right? The thing that you purchased? No, 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 no. no. It was uh, the Nintendo shooting, the gun shooting. Oh, thing.
2: yeah, 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 yeah. I'll put the
1: video up right now for people to see this. But that, I'd never seen that before. That was really awesome.
2: Well, you know, Nintendo first got onto the scene before they started making video arcade games. Have you ever seen the video of their original wild gunman game yeah. or their clay shooting game yep because like the, the, the clay shooting is amazing like it had like very realistic looking guns and like a painted panorama uh, that they would put like I think it was like a lit it was like a like a projected light of uh, of a clay pigeon because that was the first thing that Nintendo ever did yeah like outside of the, the outside cards of and the stuff, cards and, yeah so
1: that that was very cool so I, I guess
2: but you'll run the video on the on the little yep. guy, right? Yep. yep.
1: Okay. I mean, I guess the, the order of things—it's always the people I meet that's my favorite. Um, I, you know, meeting people I haven't seen in a long time, new friends, all that stuff—that's always my favorite. But second, I think is the the little gun guy, and then the seeing a mint mint condition Tempest machine. So. Yeah,
2: best I've ever seen. And yeah. the controller was well calibrated and everything too. It was a yeah. lot of fun to play. It was free.
1: The other thing too that uh, it made me smile a lot was when we walked in and the only booth that had RGB monitors set up was Brooklyn Video Games. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the owner Steve, uh, you know, Jose, Gabe was there, and I just as soon as I saw a bunch of RGB monitors, I was like, I bet you that's the Brooklyn Video Game booth, and it was.
2: <laughs> Brooklyn represent.
1: <laughs> so yeah, I mean, overall, I thought it was just a great time, and uh, I'm glad I got a chance to go. Sometimes, um, you know, it's just Long Island's a haul, and coming yeah. from Manhattan. You know, coming from Connecticut, you'd think that would have been longer when I lived in Stanford, but you actually only cut through one part of traffic, whereas coming from Manhattan and then picking them up, you know, you know in Bay Ridge, we, we hit, like, Thanks. four spots of, of traffic, so... One
2: of the things that I liked the best was the Sega Flight Simulator.
1: Oh, yeah, that was absolutely freaking awesome. You had to, like, um, fly an actual, like, uh, like an airliner. You
2: yeah, you, you had a real throttle stick. You had, like, you could flip the landing gear up and down. You had three monitors and, like, a very well-calibrated, like, yoke and pedals on the bottom. Mm-hmm. Like, it really, and it vibrated. Yeah. It was uh, one of the more impressive, like, just sit-down experiences. And uh, it looked like you could have used it for, like, real, like, full-fledged flight simulator type stuff. But it was kind of presented as, like, an arcade game. Yeah,
1: yeah, it was a happy medium between.
2: The two, yeah, so and the graphics were kind of cool for like what I imagine was like a probably like going on 15, 20 year old game right now. I, I could be wrong. No, I, I gotta look that up. I wonder yeah, which yeah. one
1: it is. But. Yeah, overall great time. I was able to get uh, a complete in box Nintendo action set, which one of the few things that I, I I buy that I don't actually use is a couple of complete inbox box stuff that
2: I just think is awesome to have up on the wall. So now I get that. Mm-hmm. And I got some Tiger Electronic games. Two yep. Of them. excited. (laughs) Alright,
1: well I'll definitely be back next year, I'll uh, leave a link down below if anybody wants to check out uh, what it is, and uh, it's two days, and it's always in August I believe, so yeah, good call, those guys did a great job. Yeah, great job. Next, a small update from Badass Consoles about the GC Video X. He had posted a few screenshots of emails going back and forth with the vendor, and it looks like things are definitely progressing, just, you know, not very quickly. So uh, I'm still convinced it's going to be a great product, and we're all definitely going to get it. It's just really a matter of time frame. So uh, if there's any updates ever, I will always post them in the roundup, even small stuff like this to try to keep everybody in the loop as much as I can. It looks like Retro Console Accessories has reopened her actual web store um, as opposed to just having the eBay store like in the past few years. And I think this is a mostly a good thing because eBay fees are insane these days. So she's actually able to sell the cables a few dollars cheaper on her website just to compensate. The only downside is eBay is really a, a great way to, to reach people worldwide. So uh, she, I think she's still going to keep that up. Um, but, hopefully, everybody will realize that if you just go direct to the website, you can save a few dollars. Also um, I, I was talking to her about how she was selling some of these things, and one of the things um, I guess I would like to ask people's opinions of is at the moment, for any of the, the shielded upgrades, you have to add a separate thing to the cart. Um, and. I guess she was asking, do people think it's better to just have that listed as a separate line item? So like SNES cable, shielded SNES cable, or like a drop-down menu, or continue to have the add to cart for coax option. So if, if anybody has any thoughts on what would make it easier, um, I think they're you know they're all the same to me, to be honest with you, but um, I'm not the best. I mean, look at my website. I don't have the prettiest one, so hopefully other people would have a good opinion on this. Uh, so post down below if you have any thoughts on that. Uh, And if you were planning on buying cables from her, just remember to go to the website and not eBay to save yourself a few dollars. It looks like Jeff Minter, the original creator of Tempest and Tempest 2000, will now be doing a Tempest 4000 for whatever the new Atari console is. Which is pretty awesome, because I actually just played that again the other day, and uh, it's, it's a very cool game. But if you play it with a spinner controller, it's even better. So I actually tweeted at Jeff Minter to see if he'd have spinner uh, controller support in the new version, and I'm I'm sure he just ignored me. (laughs) But I'm crossing my fingers for that, because I'd love to see what it looks like. Firebrand X has tried to shed some light on the component versus RGB inputs of the Framemeister, and in short, the conclusion that he came to is both inputs are pretty much identical in quality but you need different calibration settings for each. Which would certainly explain why somebody would calibrate something on the RGB side and then move it over to component and say it doesn't look as good. So that's, that's kind of cool that, that that might be why a lot of people thought the component input side wasn't good. Could be a ton of factors, too. You know, the console you're using, the component cables, blah, blah, blah. But I'm glad that he finally dug into this just to have a definitive, you know, is it or isn't it. And he got pretty detailed, as always. You could uh, I link to his findings, and you'll basically be able to see everything that he said. But either way, I wouldn't really worry about, um, you know, for a while, I guess, people were saying the component input isn't as good, and I guess I wouldn't worry about that anymore. So... Uh, Of course, you know, the FrameMeister itself does have some quirks, so if you run into any issues, it's probably not on the console side, it's probably in the calibration or the FrameMeister itself. But uh, really appreciate him taking the time to do these, uh, and I will link to all his work down below for people that want the details. Someone recently posted on Reddit who claims to be a developer of N64 emulation stuff and posted a pretty neat article that explains why the N64 emulation might not be as good on a Raspberry Pi than on other consoles, and it was pretty interesting. I mean, it's Reddit, so who knows if it's that actual person who he says he is, but it seemed like a pretty neat read and a pretty great explanation if anybody was interested. A company called Retro Fighters has just started a Kickstarter for an N64 controller, And at the time of recording this, it's already made ten times the initial required amount, so it's definitely being funded. Uh, Also, they already make and sell NES controllers that are pretty much the same shape, so their estimated delivery time of November might actually be realistic, because it looks like they would use existing molds and just alter them slightly for the different run of production. I'm not sure too much about the guts. I would like to hope that they're not using a controller adapter and they're actually building a circuit board that talks directly to the N64. And while it's only a few milliseconds of lag in order to do the transition, still, they they call it a fighting controller, so I would hope that there's zero lag added. But I backed it. I mean, it seems uh, very affordable, and it's from a company that already makes um, n 6 or not N64, it already makes controllers. So the chance of people getting what they paid for is pretty good, um, and hopefully it won't be like some of the other N64 controller projects that are you know, over a year late. So uh, As soon as I get mine in, I'll definitely give it a, a good review, and probably even bring it to guys that are, are fighting game experts for them to really put it through their paces as well. It looks like an MSU audio patch is about to become available for Mario Kart for SNES. Which is pretty exciting, because that's a, a classic game with a great soundtrack. It's being worked on by Cordy Moto, who I had on here on the podcast a few months ago. I keep forgetting I need to try to fix that interview and re-upload it without the weird compression effect on our vocals. But anyway, if you're interested in uh, seeing what he has to say, I'll link to that in the description, as well as the page for his patch. And as soon as it becomes available, you could expect it in the Smoke Monster packs. The game Thimbleweed Park will be released on the Nintendo Switch in late September, and it's already going to be on the PS4 on August 26th. And the reason I'm talking about a newer game is because it's made by Ron Gilbert, who also made Maniac Mansion and a few other adventure games like that. So, I used to really like those as a kid, and I haven't played one since. So, I really want to... I keep saying I really want to get back to playing these, but I have no time to play games anymore. But I'd love to give one of these a shot, because um, I want to see how they hold up, and especially with updated graphics. You know, of course, it's not going to be some crazy 3D adventure, but... Just the fact that you'd be able to see things a little more detailed than you would in, like, Maniac Mansion, I bet you it'd be pretty cool. So hopefully I'll have time to check it out, and if you guys already play it, definitely let me know. Next, the Lib Retro team has started posting bounties for different kind of software problems they've been running into to try to entice more people to jump in and help the project, which I think is very cool. So these are the guys that make LibRetro, RetroArch, and Laka. So, uh, you know, awesome work across the board from these guys. And uh, I guess they had problems getting their software into the Amazon App Store. It's already on the Google Play, but I guess Amazon rejected it, which is weird because Amazon actually sells some uh, retro boxes with illegal ROMs in them. So, uh, definitely check out the links down below and consider supporting them on Patreon if you use their software, because they dump a lot of hard work into this and uh, they do great stuff. Next, Dan, aka Citrus 3000 PSI, is offering a few limited internal GameCube video HDMI installs. So, this isn't the board that he had made last, or that I had talked about last week that does RGB and HDMI. This is HDMI only. But I guess he had uh, had to buy a minimum quantity or something, so he has a few left over. And, you know, he just wants some money back to help fund the project, which, obviously, that's fair. uh, I'm not sure if by the time uh, this airs, he'll already have sold out of him. But I left the link in the description, uh, and I'll leave a link to his Twitter account. So hit him up to see if you want an internal HDMI mod done, and I will definitely be uh, updating again when the dual mod comes out. Next, Firebrand X teamed up with Naked Arthur to make a combined color palette for the NES RGB boards. Now, uh, this includes Firebrand X's Smooth color palette, which I believe is his most popular with a few minor changes, as well as Naked Arthur's Wavebeam color palette, which are both awesome. Uh, and I think they stuck the Sony color palette at the end because the NES RGB has three slots for it. And I have to reflash my NES RGB board now because that these are like my favorite choices. Um, I never really realized how important the color palette was until I got my original PlayChoice 10 NES. And while some of them, like Contra, I thought looked amazing, you know, Zelda looked terrible. So, now that not only do I have color palette choices that are better than all of those, but I have three different ones that, you know, in some games, some people prefer one look over the other. So, I'm pretty excited. I'll definitely be flashing mine soon. And uh, they have comparison picks and everything right in the link. So, if you guys are interested, just download it. There's a small update to the OSSC project. It looks like the first batch of orders that went in for the version 1.6 OSSC should probably ship you know, late September um, and then late October for the second batch. Now, this, obviously, there's a lot of stuff that goes into these things. There's a lot of points of failure from even shipping to whatever. So I certainly wouldn't, uh, wouldn't hold them to these target dates. I just figured I would put that out there for a basic estimate. By the time this airs, Sonic Mania will be out. Um, I am recording this on Monday night, so I probably won't be able to stick in any footage of Sonic Mania when it's released. But I'll get to that next week, and I just wanted to put this in here as a reminder for people that might have wanted to buy it. And also, I stuck in a video of an unboxing of the Deluxe Edition, and I'm pretty sure those are sold out everywhere, but... uh, Yeah, um, it seems like an awesome game, the reviews that came in are great so I'm excited to try it myself and I will report back next week. There's another update to the low latency version of the Game Boy interface software. Extremes added a few control schemes and I believe moved a few features over from the main version to the low latency version, adding some more functionality with barely any lag at all, at least consider, or compared to the Game Boy Player software. So um, if you're a regular user of the low latency version, definitely upgrade. Next, the creator of another Metroid 2 remake was just asked to join the team for the Ori Will of the Wisps game, which is the sequel to the other Ori game that just came out for the Xbox One, and it's a side-scrolling Metroidvania, so it's absolutely perfect. Uh, Milton said he was speechless when he got the offer, and I'm really happy for him, because I think not only was AM2R just an absolutely amazing game it's probably like the greatest resume on the planet like imagine when people ask for your work experience and you send them another metroid 2 remake <laughs> i love it so I'm, I'm glad this really worked out for him um, and i can't wait to see what they come up with next smoke monster passed along a bunch of really cool things that i wanted to share with people first of all all of his well a lot of his rom packs will be updated by the time this airs not all of them but the NT Mini, Game Boy, Game Boy Advance, Game Gear, NES, SMS, Genesis, Super Nintendo, N64, and TurboGrafx-16 PC Engine. So, yeah, a shitload. They're, um, he's you know continuing the amazing work with those, so if anybody has any of those ROM packs, might as well just get the uploads as soon as they're available. And I switched to using JDownloader to get them. I'm not sure if that helps anybody. It can be kind of an awkward thing to use at first, but it seems to work perfect next the developer behind all of those awesome versus nest patches is asking for help with balloon fight so the guy behind Gundox who actually did the versus duck hunt patch that i'm a huge fan of i guess he's trying to finish uh versus balloon fight and needs some help so if anybody has any development info on that stuff just check out the nest dev listing and maybe chip in and help next the homebrew nest game tailgate party was just released and I don't know how I missed this one, so thanks for Smoke Monster to passing this over because this is totally something I would have loved. But basically, it's a Nest game where you use the power pad to throw beanbags on. So just imagine every fun drinking game, but it utilizes utilizes the power pad. Uh, it looks like a whole bunch of fun. I really would like to try it. I believe it's only available on a cartridge at the moment, which is totally awesome. Uh, I just, I do prefer to use ROMs, so hopefully they'll make it available for sale at some point. Maybe when the all the, the actual cartridges they made start to sell out, they'll just start selling the ROM. But either way, I want to make sure that I get the game and compensate the developer for making something so cool. Uh, so I'll probably just end up getting the cartridge as well, but... I don't know, hopefully eventually they'll just release the ROM and uh, people could just make donations. Someone created a save game patch for Wonder Boy 3, A Dragon's Trap, the SMS game. So that save room that you go into uh, to get your passwords, now when you go in there you could actually save the game, which is pretty cool. So if somebody prefers to play the original, this seems like a worthy update. Uh, I do love the remake, though, which is weird because I, you know, more often than not, I would prefer the original. But it's this is one of the rare cases. This AM2R and I think maybe one or two uh, Metroid Zero Mission, as opposed to the original NES Metroid, I actually prefer the remakes over the original. But to each his own. So this is a very cool patch for people that want the original. The game Psycho Rider was just ripped and released as its own standalone game. I guess it used to be a mini game inside an In Earth fantasy stories, and now people are able to actually rip it and make it available just by itself. Smoke Monster also reported that the latest update for the Easy Flash 4 for the Game Boy Advance flash cart actually adds a lot of cool features so it's faster to flash the roms the menu works better that has automatic file sorting and of course as already reported it doesn't require you to pre-patch the roms which is something that used to drive me crazy um so it's actually a good alternative for people that um you know want the cheaper option or live in places where import tax is crazy that smoke monster is now living in Brazil. And I believe the cutoff for an import fee is $50. So for a $30 cart, he ends up saving a ton of money. So that that's really a great alternative. I guess also the uh, there's even a few Skinners that are still active. He's using Ice. And said it just overall works out... Uh, the cart works a lot better than it used to on older firmwares. I think it's kind of fun that I get to follow all of the Smoke Monster updates with this one. Because this is like the Ying to his Yang... A bunch of people were arrested for selling arcade machines that have pirated ROMs on them. I guess these people made like a million dollars off of selling these things. Which is the exact opposite of what people like Smoke Monster and myself are trying to do. We're trying to preserve all of these old games and you know make sure that they live forever and we all get to experience them. We're not trying to sell them and make money off of this. So, uh, you know, I know that's there's always the heated ROM debate, and I've never wavered on my stance. And stuff like this, I, I mean, that, that deserved to have happened to these people. You're literally illegally stealing, copying, and selling something for profit. You know, they obviously weren't doing this to archive games. It's not like they were making, you know, uh, not-for-profit arcades for uh, museums or something. They were just selling them to people who were treating them as coin-ops and charging people to use them. So, yeah, that's uh, the opposite of what I stand for. So I'm glad these guys get arrested, and I see this a lot. I see people on Craigslist selling an original Xbox for $500 with 4,000 games on it. Like, I I don't know, man. I am 100% behind ROMs for personal use, for archival use, you know, or or basically for people that just want to hold on to an archive of things, and maybe they use it, maybe they don't. Yeah, maybe they buy the the actual games that they really want, but there is, regardless of the legalities and the moralities of it, there's definitely a right way and a wrong way to use ROMs, and that is the wrong way. So screw them. Apparently, there's now a new method for hacking 3DS consoles, even newer than the one that I mentioned a couple of months ago. So I guess it requires a DS flashcart a magnet to trick the console into thinking that it's actually closed. Um, And then you could either use a certain software patch or use an already hacked 3DS in order to run this exploit on the new one. But apparently this method can't be patched as it's a hardware flaw, so that means every version should be hackable. I guess only a couple of DS flash carts are compatible as of now, but I have one of them and it's an $18 one, so that seems like a pretty good deal to me. Um, so thanks to Daniel for sending in that tip, and I still have uh, Goodwill Hunter's 3DS back there that I'm uh, supposed to hack for him. I had purchased a pre-hacked one from somebody that watches the podcast, and I was going to use that to hack his and do some experimenting, and it's just it's sat next to the Vetrix ever since I got it. <laughs> Sorry, dude. <laughs> There's now a two-player hack available for Ghostbusters 2 for the NESs. Which is a pretty decent game, so if uh, anybody wants to experiment with that and play with a friend, then definitely give this one a shot. And lastly, I've actually uploaded two videos since the last podcast. One was a very basic video on how to patch your own ROMs, which, you know, your average... Nerd like myself, you know, have probably been doing that since the late 90s, but there's a lot of people just getting into it now that want to apply different types of patches. Or, um, just recently I've been playing the Zelda Game Boy DX and I wanted a certain combination of patches, so you know, you never know when you need to do that. But if anybody needs it as reference, or if you guys know some noobs, maybe pass that their way because you know, just makes it easier. And also, I uploaded a video showing the Jaguar overlays I just purchased. And I forgot uh, one very massive point in that video. Uh, I always seem to remember like the day after I upload the video. But uh, a lot of those overlays were ones that that company actually created themselves 0711 Spiel. Um, you know, I think there was only, like, 10 original Jaguar controller overlays, so I didn't really care to do a side-by-side comparison, because it just, you know, it wasn't worth it. I probably should have. I probably should have borrowed a couple or something, but I really just wanted to concentrate on the fact that these are available, and they never have been before, and they're good quality, and they arrived quick. A little expensive, but whatever. So, um... Yeah, I just figured uh, I would let everybody know here, and I put a little addendum in the description, but it always drives me nuts, because I'll do a video, I'll re-watch it, I'll wait like a day or two, I'll watch it again, and go, alright, great. And like an hour after I hit, you know, make public, I always remember something else I should have put in it. Drives me crazy, but what can you do? Now onto the Q&As. Blizz actually responded in regards to the Lemon Hunter game that he put out, and uh, my whole I want to see it on a console thing, and he said that the game is open source and released under an open license, so if anybody wants to port it to a console, feel free to do it. And he said it does run on the Raspbian version of Pico 8, so you might be able to get it on a CRT through Raspberry Pi through one of those SCART adapters so that's all that is awesome stuff it looks like such a cool game and i will get around to playing it eventually and if anybody has any experience on getting that to run on a raspberry pi definitely let me know that'd be freaking awesome so thanks bliss next Aaron sent a link to the new elgato cam link so i actually think that this is basically just a rebranded capture card but i don't know i would love to ask you guys if uh, anybody's heard anything about it i don't think it's actually out yet but is it any different than using a capture card? Um, I have two good quality capture cards here, and I do the same thing that's shown in all of its pictures, and that I just use the HDMI output to the input of the capture card, and it doesn't seem to, you know, it has its weird frame rate issues. So I'm wondering I'm wondering if this is going to be any different. Uh, and maybe if I use XSplit instead of OBS, would I get different results there? So uh, I was just kind of curious if anybody had any experience with that, or Or if anybody planned on buying one of those new Elgato cam links, but it just seems like a rebranded capture card. So thanks to Aaron for posting uh, or for sending me the link, but I'm really curious about that one. Up next, I have an interview with Josh and Doug from Limited Run Games. And there's a lot of controversy surrounding these guys, and I really hope that the interview clears a lot up. But before I actually show that, I want to show what it's like to try to buy a game from them. And, you know, this is not... I'm not trying to bash them. This isn't a setup. Um, No, I wasn't the guy who tried to extort them for a free copy of Night Trap. Although that is something I probably would have said as a joke, but no, it actually wasn't me at all. Um, I just... I want everybody to understand what it's like to try to actually buy a game. Because I think a lot of people just assume that... uh, that people saunter in a couple hours after the sale starts and they can't get one and they're pissed. You know, I've seen a lot of tweets from people that are like, oh, you're just lazy and pissed off that you didn't get one. You know, why don't you go cry like a baby? Just watch this first. uh, And, you know, I'll touch base again real quick afterwards and then let you hear directly for them. But please don't skip over this part because this, I feel like this really is, you know, it gives you a genuine feel of the frustration that people find uh, when they try to buy anything from these guys usually so check this out and we'll be right back all right guys so i'm going to go for a limited run games purchase um you know a lot of people have talked about this so i'm going to see what it's like and obviously you know log in first you know 37 seconds left you certainly don't want to be creating an account and waiting for an activation email that at at that point it's kind of just your fault um so Let's see what happens, because I'm really curious. I've, I've seen a lot of these things fail miserably, so uh, I'm not going to speed this up. Let's just take the you know 19 seconds. Pretty sure we could all wait for that. Have a sip of Absinthe. I'm really curious to see if I'm going to have to refresh or if it'll actually pop up. nothing, so I have to refresh. Uh, Still at zero. There we go. Add to cart. PayPal. Due to high traffic, you'll need to wait a few minutes. When it's your turn, checkout will load automatically. Well, that's some bullshit. Uh, Let's see if we could... Change some go to a different tab or something. No, here we go. Let's and let's see if I can get uh, collector's edition at the same time. Add to cart. Okay. And I'm gonna block out my name just because I um I like to buy from a different like dummy account. Just so people don't see retro RGB and think, "Oh, maybe he'll make a video on it or something." It's just me for my personal account. Um... Okay. So that's sold out already. So in the time it took me to add both to my cart, one of them sold out. So now I understand the frustration. You guys saw what happened, but uh, let's let's just see what happens if I pay on this side. No, I don't want to subscribe to your newsletter. Um. So, it removed it from my cart. Okay. Um, And I don't really know what just happened. You're shot. So it literally removed both from my cart? And now, all right. All right, it literally just removed both games from the cart, the collector's edition and the other one. And I only added about 10 seconds. You guys go back and check the fucking timestamps on this like 10 seconds sold out so this is the frustration that people have this is why that people get so upset about these guys so i think now you can at least get a feel for what it's like now i showed that video to a few of my friends uh and if you guys watch the retro roundtable podcast you know that my friends are by far my harshest critics which i love um, and, of course, most of them slung mug at me immediately. You know, Steve was appalled that I would try to mess with the cart and buy two at once. Um, you know, Nick said it doesn't matter. You should have just had both, uh, both windows open and hit buy on both at the same time to not mess with the PayPal side. I-, I don't know if I agree with any of that. And I did get one thing wrong in that video. If you go back and you watch the little counter and the timestamps, I probably wasted five seconds uh, trying to also get the collector's edition, which, to be perfectly honest, I would have loved to have given that to uh, to one of my close friends that, that love Night Trap the way I do. Um, but, nope, I ended up with nothing. So, um, you know, obviously form your own opinions on what you think my experience was like. Maybe you think... I'm a moron and should have just gotten it. But at the very least, you understand now, after watching it, that this isn't some lazy idiot that's just whining that they didn't get a game. I did everything right, and that was the second wave of sales. So they go into a lot of detail in the interview. And for the record, these guys are absolutely, you know, outgoing. They answer all Uh, all of my questions even when I kind of pushed pretty hard on things you know I never I'm never a dick I don't ever sit there and swear at them or anything like that but you know I uh you know they answered honestly and I appreciated that very much um but you guys have to make your own opinions on them um I'll tell you mine in a second but all I ask is that you show these guys the respect that they showed me and everybody else that contacts them Because I refuse to be the person that swears at them on Twitter or, you know, posts something hateful on YouTube or or, or (laughs) tries to extort them for a copy of Night Trap to expose their... I I don't know what that was all about. I almost... Yeah. But um, my opinion on it is that these are guys that are running a legitimate business. And if you manage to actually be one of their customers, they treat you very, very well. But... Their opinion is that in order to sell the most games, they cater to the collector, collector's culture, the people that have to get it right away and leave it on the wall. And There's nothing wrong with that at all. I mean, zero. I'm not shitting on collectors. I literally just had one of my good friends, Justin, a.k.a. the Goodwill Hunter, on the other day, and he's a collector and he loves stuff like this. Uh, my only opinion is that I choose to support the gamers and the nerds not the collectors. If the collectors happen to like anything I'm involved with too, that's awesome. I have no obviously no hate towards them. But those are the people that I support because that's where I like to put myself in that category. I'm a nerd first, a gamer second, and everything else after that, I guess. Um, And they truly feel that by doing things their way, they get more sales out of it, which, don't forget, means that they get to pay developers more money. So the guys that made these games end up with more money to fund newer projects. So there's a chance that these guys and the way they do things are actually helping the gaming community as a whole. But it is my choice to just respectfully not buy anything from them. Um, I don't want to support that kind of culture. I want to support the nerds. And before I, you, know, you guys start with the, any of the hate posts down below, these aren't a bunch of guys that are just doing this as a hobby. These aren't, you know, two heroes of the gaming scene trying to save digital-only games to print. They're businessmen doing this for a living. Uh, once again, I'm not shitting on them for that, but, you know, when we had the debate on the Retro Roundtable a couple months ago about me coming down on small-time people who are making small runs of production of things, you know, at the end, I kind of conceded that I was wrong. You know, it's a hobby, and they're doing their best, and although they could make better choices or different choices... What they do is what they do, and while that uh, that exactly is true of Limited Run Games, they're their own company. They call the damn company Limited Run Games. It's supposed to be limited. That's fine. Um, I would not make those choices at all, and I don't feel bad judging those choices. Um, I would, you know, I would find some way to like make the pre uh, you know the uh, pre agreed amount, and then keep the uh, orders open and tell everybody that runs out of, you know, let's say they make 5000 of a game, and it sells out in a minute. So they leave the sales open till the end of the night, and just with big flashing letters let everybody know, hey, you missed the batch that's already been made, so this now is a pre-order, and you might not get it for six months because Sony's run of production, uh, you know, it's, it has to be fit in where it can, so cancel your order or don't, but here it is. Now, I'm, I'm sure people would freak out and get nuts, go nuts against that anyway, but... You know, you can't make everybody happy, but at least, in my opinion, that might take care of both ends of things. You know, you get the excitement, you get the rush, you know it's going to be sold out today. You know you know it might even be sold out in an hour. Maybe they cut it off at one hour, but at least people that really want the game's can. And, you know, I don't want to sound like a total whiny bitch here, but Night Trap was a game that meant a lot to myself and my cousin Scott when we were kids. You know, it was the bad game that you weren't supposed to play. Our our parents weren't stupid enough to believe that, by the way. They kind of laughed at the, you know, the whole controversy. But also, it was one of the first really popular full-motion video games. And while no offense at all to the developers behind Night Trap or the team that did the reissue, It's not that great of a game it's like you know the okayest full motion video game you could find and it's you know it's more a staple of history than anything else and i will eventually buy it on ps4 digital and play through it um i didn't get one and uh that's fine but it's because of that and because of everything i just talked about that you know i choose to support developers and nerds um and not the collector side but you guys make your own decisions. So I can't wait to read your comments down below. Try to keep it civil. Um, you know, definitely be civil to these guys because, as you could see in the interview, they certainly were to me. Um, but, you know, I uh, can't wait to see what everybody's opinion on this is. And I'll see you guys next time. Hey guys, I am here with Limited Run Games. How you guys doing? Good. How are you? Doing Good. well. Um I'm really glad you guys took the time to come on here because um ever since you guys started uh you've kind of polarized a lot of fans of these things and um I really wanted to get to the bottom of a lot of these questions because I see a lot of people just speculating for you know with no merit and I'm one of those people I'm only human <laughs> um and I see a lot of people singing praise and I just kind of want to know what the the full story is because um last week you know there was a lot of people really disappointed that they weren't able to get the game, and it sold out within a minute. So I just kind of wanted to hear your uh, your story, and really just you know ask you guys all the questions that um, that have been floating around, really. So
0: awesome, yeah. We really appreciate it. I think one of the, the things that really hurts us is when people don't reach out and actually ask us for any kind of side of the story. Uh, whenever they get mad about things, and they just kind of make videos railing on us or ranting about us without kind of asking. know, what's what's your perspective on it? And that kinda hurts because a lot of the time it will mobilize people to attack us personally or whatever. We get a lot of that. And it's kind of it's kinda crazy because we've been very open and transparent with people on forums and Twitter about how we operate, what we do, and I think we've pretty much answered every possible question anybody could ever ask us about what we're doing. And we've always provided a pretty reasoned, uh neutral stance on everything. So
1: um
0: we're also we also like to think that we're easy to get a hold of. Uh, there's not many interviews we don't do. Um, we try to make ourselves available to anybody who has a question.
1: Yeah, yeah, you guys are definitely easy to get a hold of. I'll give you big props for that one. So a lot of people, uh, a lot of people, as soon as they get popular, they get that attitude of like, uh, I don't have time for the little guy. Which I am still very, very much the little guy. So it is nice of you guys to take the time to do this and to reach out to people when they ask you questions. So.
0: It's something we're really, really proud about doing is, is making sure we interact with fans, we, we build a community, and we want to make sure that people know that we're looking out for them and that we're trying to help them as much as we can. One of the things we did last weekend was we actually spent a lot of our own time over the weekend canceling orders that broke the limits. We combed through, I think it was like 3,500 or 4,000 orders, finding people who had broken limits, ordered too many, ordered more than what we expected. We didn't get to catch everybody. We, it's it's impossible to catch everybody because they'll use different addresses. They'll order from as different family members. They'll jump through loops to, to make sure that we can't tra- trace them. But we caught a lot of people and we managed to free up about, I think, I think it was like 300 copies of the game, maybe like 330 or 340, something like that. So that I, th- I think that was that a good show on our side of, of – looking out for people as best we can. I mean, we, we set in our contracts with publishers a specific amount of each game that we're allowed to print legally. So if we miss demand, we can't go back and print more to to try to satisfy that. We're kind of stuck where we are, but we'll do what we can to try to help people out if. Clearly, demand was was undergaged.
1: Yeah, so that's that's part of the process, I guess. Um, I guess if we could just start from the beginning, and if anybody's interested with the whole origin story, I'll put a link to the the My Life in Gaming documentary. It was really awesome. That's how I found out about you guys because I'm a big fan of theirs as well. So, um, but the short short version is, you guys take games that are only available on digital download, and you make hard copies in limited runs, hence limited run games, right? Yep. So that's- when uh, when that you know what's the first step do you reach out to developers do they reach out to you now like what's the first step in deciding that a game gets a hard copy through you guys
0: it's it's still a mixture of them reaching out to us and us reaching out to them but i think at this point a lot of it is is developers coming to us um i think with there's a certain amount of dream games that that me and douglas kind of keep a short list of that are our games that we go after, and we reach out to the developers on like Firewatch was one of those. Shadow Complex was one of those. Because I mean, Shadow Complex, there's no way Epic was ever going to reach out to me. So that was uh, that was 100% me going after that. Shantae as well. I, I'm a big fan. Way Forward, everything that they've done, I've loved. Um, so that was me, and that was a game. I think that was one of uh, it was probably the second game where we kind of really, I think underestimated demand on it. I mean, I knew it was going to be popular, but Uh, WayForward was really confident in the run size that we had set, and they were really surprised by it as well. So I I feel like one of the things we do that people don't understand is when we set limits, it's not set by us. It's set by the publisher and us. Mm -hmm. So we don't go to a publisher and say, hey, we're only going to do 2,000 units of this, and then they say, okay. They will come back and say, no, that's too few. Let's do 4,000. Why can't we do 5,000 or Or why can't we do 8,000 in the case of Wonderboy, which is kind of where we we settled that. And with that one, uh, it's actually interesting. They had been set at 6,000. I think our contract is actually for 6,000 copies. And I managed to convince them to go up to 8,000 units. One of the things about that is sometimes publishers will be a a little bit uh, conservative on it because if those extra units don't sell – the cost of those will actually impact the amount of money that they make.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: mm-hmm. they have the same risk on overprinting that we do. So if they're not super confident that the game's going to sell, they're also going to be conservative with that run size. Mm-hmm. But since their money rides on it and our money rides on it as well, and it's mostly theirs because of the way our rev share works, the pretty much winning opinion on run size is going to be the publishers. So if they say, like, this is how much we want to do of the game, it's pretty much what we're going to do, unless we really, really strongly believe that this game is going to sell well and they need to up that quantity and that that's not going to come back to hurt them in the end. We just saw that with Night Trap. Wasn't that signed much smaller yeah, the hype? Night Trap was signed at 4,000 copies. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what Screaming Villains thought would sell for that game. And then we announced it, and our social media exploded and it was clear like immediately that 4000 copies was not going to service anybody i think 4000 copies would be gone in like a second maybe <laughs> Even though, i honestly have no idea how much of a mess that would be if we tried to release that few copies so we actually went back and said we need to raise this you know let's double it boost it up to to 8000 which is where it's at right now and Eight thousand uh, is our largest run we've ever done for a single game. That's that's what we did for Wonder Boy, and it's crazy to think that even that wasn't enough. So it's uh, it's it's kind of eye opening a little bit for us. But yeah, I think
1: yeah. the thing that always struck me, and uh, just a super super short. So I'm obviously you know a huge gaming nerd, uh, but my background is both IT and I, uh, my company that I worked with for like ten years manufactured and designed medical grade computers. It was a small company, so I was part of the design, the supply chain, all that stuff. So I've had my hand in a, enough of this to at least understand the basic concepts. I'm by no means an expert in manufacturing but when i when I hear things like this, my first question is why why set a quantity limit at all? Why not set a time limit and then be obviously very mindful of your cutoffs so let's if you have if, you a know, thousand Actually. clip, you've got to stop it at you know nineteen hundred or something.
0: Yeah, so we actually we did that uh, with Skullgirls. That was a, a game. That basically, we had put out I think at that time when that rolled around, we had maybe done like 20 games already. I think that was right before Shantae had gone live. Um, we were somewhere around like 20 to 25 games released so far, or SKUs rather than games. So that'd be around 10 or 12 unique games, and we wanted to try out pre-orders. Uh, We had actually initially started discussing with Lab Zero and Autumn Games about doing that as a traditional run. Mm -hmm. And we had set the run size at 10,000 copies on PS4 and 5,000 on Vita. And if anybody thinks I'm just kind of making those numbers up, if you go back and look at our Game Informer interview that we did... Uh, which came out, I think, around August of that same year. That was 2016. Mm -hmm. We Mm -hmm. actually mentioned in there we have a game coming up that's going to be 10,000 copies. We say that in there. We don't say it's Skullgirls because it wasn't announced yet. But that's what that was referring to. But the publisher was worried that 10,000 copies wouldn't be enough, that it wouldn't service demand. So they really wanted to push for the pre-orders instead. And we wanted to give it a shot, try it out, see how it went. And what ended up happening there is that we actually sold less through pre-orders than we had planned to print of the game in general. So as a result of the pre-orders, the game is going to be more rare than it would have been had we put it up through our normal run size. And I think that that kind of boils down to basically when you have a run size, you've got a certain amount of urgency in terms of buying it. You know that this thing is only going to exist in this quantity. And if I want it, I need to buy it now. But when you've got that pre-order, that, that is open for a week or even a day, you've got a lot of time to kind of waffle on whether you're going to buy it or not. And as, as kind of sleazy as this sounds, the, the urgency that drives people to buy it kind of immediately helps us sell more copies, which in turn helps us get the developers more money. Because the lion's share of what we earn goes back to the developers, and that allows them to go on to make more games, make more content, create more cool things that we can play. So what's important to me is selling as many copies as possible. And there's always this worry like, hey, maybe the pre-orders won't sell as many copies as they would if we set the limit. That's a double-edged sword because in some cases the pre-orders could theoretically sell more. With Wonderboy, maybe the pre-orders could have sold more. But it's always a a gamble basically because with Skullgirls, I I have full confidence that that 10,000 units that we would have printed on PS4 would have sold through our normal put them up, we have 10,000 available uh, method and they would have sold with no trouble with pre-orders. I think you get this, this essentially people are able to say, hmm, I'll think about it. I'll come back tomorrow and buy it. And then they never come back tomorrow to buy it. They forget about it. They move on. And then by the time that the pre-order closes, they're like, eh, I didn't really need it anyways. Um, and that's, I guess good on the consumer side. It's great on the consumer side, but on the developer side, they've they've basically lost a sale there because that person may have bought it when it was urgent. I know it sounds kind of scummy, but really we no, that,
1: that really ma- is the direct debate because that is one side of it and it's all very legitimate and it is marketing 101, right? I mean, you have to create a buzz around something for people to get interested in it. But the the negative effects, I mean, my, you know, I the business part of me sitting you know it's sitting in that manufacturing plant in China counting computers the business side of that thinks like man but what if what if you ordered 8000 and you only sold 2000 to have a set number ahead for a product that you know you know you already know how to make that's pretty great but the other huge negative side to that is it creates this this massive collector culture around something where it's no longer about the game it's about the collecting and, you, got, you know, you got to get it right in that moment. And then you have people where, you know, I 100% agree where if it's like, well, the pre orders opened at 10 and I roll in at 3 p.m. and it's sold out, that's my fault. But if I'm still logging into the, the, the website at 10 o'clock and I can't get the game that I love because a bunch of people who have it in a, you know, in a saran wrap on their wall forever and never open it own it then you're actually catering to the collector culture, not the gamer culture, which I guess there's nothing wrong with that, but that's what pisses the gamers off, the people that love these things and really want their hard copy, because they want their kids to play it, or they want to play it 10 years from now when the PS4 yeah. download service is completely shut down and everything.
0: And and that's the that's the hard part to gauge, because we want to service everybody who wants the games, and we want to make sure that everybody who wants them can get them, but I think To make this lucrative enough for the developers to be interested, we have to make sure that we have both sides interested. And if the collectors aren't buying, we're leaving a lot of money on the table for developers. So one of the games that I like to point out to is the game that started it all for us, Breach and Clear, which I developed. And that game had only sold around $10,000 worth of, of copies on PlayStation Vita digitally before it had come out. That's like... Uh, less than a 1,000 units digitally in the couple months where it, it had, had been out prior to release. It hadn't reviewed that well. And I maintain to this day that if we had put that up as a pre-order, we would have been lucky to get 400 orders. If we had made that a manufactured-to-demand game, there wouldn't have been enough interest to make that game actually come into reality. And I think that is this, the same case to this day for the smaller or more obscure games that we put out. And you could make the argument, like, why bother with them if that many people don't actually want them? But I think it's important to preserve whatever we can. If it's a good game, even if it's an obscure good game, like, I want to facilitate that into existence. Yeah, I'm 100% on your page
1: for that one. I mean, that is that is the other reason why I, I, I always thought having something like a, well, let's put this out here and only 100 people pre-ordered. Yeah, all right, it's still something that needs to be done. Maybe we'll make 120 and, you know, just... Uh, figure that out but I do uh, I am 100% on you guys page as you need to preserve all this stuff and guys like Frank Cifaldi will fly your flag all day long because he's you know the software preservation thing is what he's been really gunning for so what you guys are doing in my opinion is a necessity and it's just uh, you know I'm always I'm always wondering which side which side I feel more strongly on you know the side that well it's a business you guys have to pay your bills anybody that says otherwise is an idiot And you have to create this demand. And in doing so, you get your developers more money. But at the other side is the love for the games and the love for the community and keeping these things alive. So that's, you know, I I still don't really know what side I sit on. You know, no no disrespect meant just because I understand both sides. But there certainly is a lot of angry people out there.
0: We're definitely trying to service the demand where we can. Again, that 8,000 units for Wonderboy, that's the biggest run we've ever done. That's that's the most we've ever put out for a single game. Even prior to that, I think Skullgirls was the most uh, we've ever done for a single run. I think it was like 7,600 copies on PS4. So. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were beating that by 400 copies here. And if you look at kind of the data that we had going into it, uh, 8,000 copies seemed like it was going to be enough to service people and kind of stay in stock for that Hour or two hours that we really want to aim for. Ideally, we like to be in stock for around one or two hours because that's enough hype. That's 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 enough time for people to get their orders in. Um, worst case scenario, we like to be in stock for a weekend, which usually ends up being what happens with with some of the games where we slightly mm-hmm. overgauge demand on. Mm-hmm. Um, but with Wonder Boy, we had uh, basically going into it, we knew that there was a competing Asian release that was in English that was $5 cheaper and included a soundtrack in reversible cover. So we had this data that was suggesting that PlayAsia had already gotten several thousand pre-orders from people in the United States and in Europe. So we were wondering, you know, what's the demand that exists beyond that Asian English release, especially when we had so many people yelling at us on Twitter. Here's one of the things, just as an aside, I think me and Douglas are really reactive to what people say to us. We take everything into consideration. So when we get, even if it's one or two people that are angrily yelling us at us on Twitter ahead of a sale saying, uh, screw you guys, I'm buying it from PlayAsia now because I don't want to put up with your shit. <laughs> that immediately, me and Douglas are sitting there thinking, well, how many other people are thinking this too? And, and that that honestly, it makes us reactive and it makes us say, hey, maybe, maybe we should do 8,000 instead of 10,000, or maybe we should stick to that 6,000, they said. And I think that's that's the downside of uh, really being interactive with the community is, is we get really reactive on stupid stuff like that. But there was real data showing that people were buying the Asian English release that kind of basically – overlapped with our market, I guess is what I'm looking for. Well so I could of,
1: tell I, you I could tell you for sure why people were waiting for yours and it's a testament to you two is that um you really don't know what you're getting from PlayAsia. I don't mean to be insulting, but the fact that I mean it's a good chance some of the stuff you get off of there could be a bootleg. Or maybe you don't The developer doesn't get what they would have, and you guys have always been very transparent about how you do things, and you know that if you buy from limited-run games, the developer gets a fair share. There is no, let's just burn an extra 500 copies and not tell anybody going on. And, I mean, I spent 10 years out of Shenzhen doing business, so uh, it's not being insulting. That's just how it is over there. It's just the way... So that is why people were definitely going to you instead of theirs because people who really love and are fans of the game would rather know that they're getting a real product, that the money's going to the right places, they're not just throwing their money away to some bootlegger. So that's definitely why people went to you, and that's, that's a testament to you guys, of course.
0: And I think that, that that's just something. Wonder Boy was the first game where we really had something like that crop up where we had announced it and then... Two weeks later, the Asian-English version popped up, and since it was cheaper and kind of included a soundtrack, we were concerned immediately, like, how will this impact us? And the same thing's happening with East Origin, which we're releasing later this month. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. we learned from Wonder Boy, thankfully fast enough to adjust the, the production run on East Origin. It's why we haven't put any product pages up for that saying what we were running on that game yet, because we wanted to look at Wonder Boy and see... What were the sales like on that and and how should we respond with regards to East Origin and maybe boost a production run on that? So we've kind of been reactive there and now East Origin is going to be our largest run yet because it seems very clear that the Asian English release doesn't really have that big of an impact on us or at least as much as we thought.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But mm-hmm. Then we have this other side where we're still super reactive. So after the Wonder Boy stuff and everybody yelling at us saying, oh, I'm never buying your releases again, we, we take that a little little far too seriously, I think, because we look at that and now we're sitting here thinking like, hey, what if those people really meant it? What if they don't come back for East Origin? So really, really just kind of a mess of being reactive to the various markets and trying to process data and whatever we can to try to set those limits where we – where we feel like everybody has a fair shake at getting it, but sometimes we just under gauge. Uh, but honestly, across across the, I guess, 80 releases that we've done now, or 75 or 76, whatever it is at this point, we've only really missed demand substantially at least by, by under 10 titles. Soldner X2, uh, honestly, a lot of people bring up Shantae, but when that was on sale, it was in stock for at least 30 minutes. It, it wasn't. It wasn't like it wasn't like that, and it was gone. It was not a mess. I didn't have. Basically, the way I can gauge if I really messed up was if I look at our Facebook and I see the little angry face on our on our likes. If I see that as the top emoji, I know we really messed up. And I didn't have that for Shantae. We had that for Firewatch. We had that for Oddworld Stranger's Wrath. We had that for Darius Burst on PS4. Uh, but really, like Stranger's Wrath, Firewatch. Oddworld PS four or no, Oddworld Vita, yeah st- originally new and tasty. Oceanhorn. And uh, Soldner X and then Oceanhorn. Yeah. Those are the ones where I think we, we kind of dropped the ball. Um, but Oceanhorn that was those those numbers were set by the publishers, so you know, we kinda just rolled with what they had put down for it. So and One cool. thing that
1: people ca- constantly remind me, friends of mine, uh, is that the name of your company is Limited Run Games. You are very transparent about the fact that you're going to make a limited run of something, and that's it. So I think a lot of the people that flip out that the games aren't available for days, I think I think that statement applies 100%. Here's, you know, the whole point is that you want to make enough that you sell them all and people get them. Um, but the other side of that is the people that go, well, why are you complaining? You know, you lazy asshole. You can't just log on when they tell you to, and that—that that is the part where it's you know the other side of that says if it's especially if it's open for almost a day or even hours an hour. It was just the uh, you know the log in a minute later and it's gone. I think that's where you know, and like you guys said, it's not every game that it does that. I just think that's where those complaints were at least not wrong, if anything else.
0: No, they're. And I'm not going to sit here and discredit anybody that's that's complaining about it. It's really what, what bothers me is when people get angry at us without kind of getting our side on it or really, really thinking about it and thinking about how uh, difficult it would be to uh, do some things differently. Like some people are saying, hey, stop using Shopify because – uh, the cart system on Shopify sucks. And it's like Shopify is the best e-commerce solution out there. What can we possibly do? Yeah,
1: that, that's that's clearly – those statements are made by people that have never run a web store before. So that's yep. very blatantly obvious to me. So.
0: Something, so something that always bothered me is the, the 10 a.m. batch versus the 6 p.m. batch people. It's the people that assume the 10 a.m. batch was the only one and they get really upset that they forget that we have two. And the second one for the most part is usually a lot slower. Because one of the things, one of the things that's almost uh, a running joke now is where people will get really mad at us and like send us like uh, really, really ridiculously angry epithets at at 10 a.m. because they missed out, and then at 6 p.m. they'll be like, "Oh, got mine, thank you," without acknowledging that they just sent us like 30 tweets like telling us we were the worst people in the world.
1: Yeah, welcome to the internet so
0: yeah much. At, at this point that doesn't really affect me but we just brought on a new customer support uh representative and she was just like blown away by this because she had never seen anything like it yeah where, like she got a support ticket where it was just somebody just saying f you 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 over and over again and then that same person managed to buy one at 6 p.m and it was like why did you why did you bother putting that in there like like why do you have to vent? On, like, my people are real people. The people that work with me are real. Like, why do you have to do that to us?
1: Well, that's that's more of a youth thing. You know, it takes a while to grow up and realize that those aren't customer service people. Those are human beings on the other end of that. So a lot of people never even realize that. They just stay trolls their whole lives, but nothing you could do about that. Um, I did want to address a couple of the other questions that were floating around, and I'm going to be playing Devil's Advocate on a couple of them just because I want to get these questions out there so you guys have the opportunity to address them directly. Um, One of the things that I saw was that after the 10 a.m. Wonder Boy sold out, one of the tweets you guys put up was, but they're still available in bundles. And that kind of rubbed a bunch of people the wrong way. Oh, so now you're going to make us buy two games instead of one. Um, I have a feeling I know the answer to that one, but I'll let you guys address that.
0: Yeah, the, what I saw was basically you guys are becoming GameStop because GameStop likes to do that with like the NES Classic or any of their exclusives all the time. It's like, hey, buy this stupid hat that you don't want. That <laughs> We're going to say it's $35, but it's, it's actually like a, a $5 hat or whatever. <laughs> but we were actually working on getting those bundles for LawBreakers up uh, prior to the batch going live. But basically what happened is my uh, finance guy, Ben, walked in and just started talking about something completely – random because he was flying out to Dallas or Fort Worth or whatever for uh, Let's Play Fest, I think is what the the con he just went to was called. And I got distracted for about 20 minutes talking to him about what he was going to do about that event and whatever else he had brought up. And by the time I turned around to get back to putting the bundle up, I saw that it was 9.55 and I was like, shit. And I tried to go as fast as I could to get it ready to go. Uh, But 10 o'clock rolled around and I had to put those standard copies up and and the the non bundled copies up and it just looked bad because then five minutes later the standard bundle that i was working on pops up and five minutes after that the collector's edition bundle that i was working on pops up and the inventory had already been separated on that it wasn't a matter of being able to pull it out and then just be like on the fly because most of the time it goes so fast that we we couldn't do that if we wanted to
1: I didn't so, want the answer for you guys, but I I knew that was your answer. It's already been separated and literally bundled together. Not you pull them off the shelf as the sales come in. They're actually literally together, right?
0: In your yeah, the, the pages weren't started. They just weren't finished. Yeah, basically, the way that it works before I started sales, I created an Excel spreadsheet that basically breaks down every copy of the game we have into each SKU we're offering with that game, and I have to separate the inventory out across those SKUs and say this is how many we're going to sell in the 10 a.m. batch. This is how many we're going to sell at 6 p.m. And one of the things that hit me here that wasted some time as well was that I got way too detailed on that sheet to make sure that I didn't oversell. Because now we have this other component where – and this is something that I think a lot, of, a lot of gamers overlook is that one of the big things that uh, we started to do to address this initiative of, of people not being able to get online on time and, and not being able to buy from our site is we're now selling to a lot of mom-and-pop shops. We're actually selling to about, I think, 100 to 120 different mom-and-pop game stores. And we actually have them under an agreement where they can't charge more than $10 on any of our items. So if you go into a mom-and-pop shop and they have Wonder Boy, it's probably going to be uh, about $39.99 at, at tops, which isn't bad when you consider that buying it from us, it would be $29.99 plus $5.50 shipping. Mm -hmm. So it's really Mm -hmm. not that bad and that markup goes to support a mom-and-pop shop that's just uh, furthering our community and our hobby. So what I like about it is it gives people a local alternative to going to buy these things. But that complicated my morning inventory sheet and wasted some of my my time because I had to sit there and be like, we have this many orders from retailers for each of these things. So I have to split inventory there. I have to split inventory into this bundle and then I have to make sure – that I'm putting enough inventory into both of these standard categories and the collector category. So some of those are last minute, like you were literally being told. To oh, the retailer the sale. Yeah. yeah. So the retailer orders basically we cut them off at like 9am that day and said like, this is, this is it. We can't take any more. And I had to factor all that in before I created those bundles. And then once I had those ready to go, that's when I really started to get those pages up. I just wasted too much time there in the past. We had actually offered a bundle, with Risk of Rain, and it was actually pretty successful. Uh, Essentially, some of our our hardcore collectors who buy everything we put out, they like the idea of a bundle because the bundle gives them the ability to get everything in one click because they have this paranoia that if they have to click Add to Cart six times, they're going to miss everything, which is true to some degree. So they've actually been asking us, especially on popular games, to add bundles. And really, this is a thing to service our... Hardcore collectors who were buying everything because they were going to buy Wonder Boy and they were going to buy Lawbreakers. And there's a possibility that they were too slow to get to the game. So, really, I think that the benefit of that bundle was for our hardcore collectors rather than people who uh, just wanted Wonder Boy. Right. Um, but the lion's share of the stock for each game was outside of those bundles. We only sold about 700 bundles. So, when you look at eight thousand copies of the game, that's really nothing in the grand scheme of things. Right. If we were gonna take it the GameStop route, we would have just bundled five thousand of them together and said, hey, deal with it.
1: Right. So um, do you have product pages before these bundles are available? Because that was one of the things that I'd heard too, is that you'll tweet about something and then there won't be a product page, so there won't be a placeholder for people to go back to
0: That's I mean, that's my my problem is I don't put up product pages fast enough. I'll literally add a soundtrack bundle for a game the day before the sale or the hour before the sale or the minute before the sale. I've done that before. And that's really just uh, a problem with me and Douglas being so split on what we do. So we do so much between the two of us where I forget things that I need to do, like add bundle pages or soundtrack pages or product pages. And then I end up doing it at the last minute to the detriment of customer support and whatever else, because customer support actually had about 15 pages of questions that they had to respond to and support issues they had to respond to related to the bundles so I created more problems than I probably solved with that thing but um, I did get a couple of people saying they're really happy that the bundle existed so I'm kind of chuffed well, on that. You know so. getting
1: information out there is always in my opinion one of the most important things and you know announcing something and saying there's a pre-order and it's only going to be available for this period of time that's cool. Uh, but having a placeholder for people to go back to, and not have to scroll down through you know a bunch of tweets to try to find it, I think is very important as well.
0: Yeah, I think with with the bundles, it was just the product page. Like we didn't—I don't even think we mentioned—we didn't even mention the bundles prior to putting them up. That mm-hmm. was that was completely something that me and Douglas had discussed throughout the week, and it just kind of fell by the wayside until eight o'clock on Friday when we both got in and we were like, "Hey." we should get these up and yeah, that was more me just kind of ending up being scatterbrained and really bad about doing things in a timely fashion. So on that, on that front there was no information out there prior to uh, the existence of the bundles with night trap right now. People keep asking if we're doing bundles, but everybody wants a different bundle. Mm -hmm. Like some people want, some people want a collector's edition bundle with the vinyl and the blu-ray. Some people want a standard edition and collector's edition bundle and then some people want a bunker and night trap bundle, yeah. and if we offer all those bundles, we have to split our inventory across all of those bundles, right and we can't, we can't enforce limits across them. So for every bundle we have, we're presenting resellers another opportunity to buy an extra copy of the game. So if there's a bunker night trap bundle, a CE night trap bundle, and a mega bundle, they'd have. The opportunity to buy the game three times there, and then on the standard edition as well, which would stretch inventory and and really hurt anybody's chance to get them. So right now we're just kind of trying to figure out, like, well, in a once, perfect world,
1: you wouldn't you wouldn't have bundles; you would just have combined shipping. But then you'd have to guarantee that there was enough stock to make it past five minutes for everybody to get the you know get the their their things added to the cart. Yeah, so.
0: it's it's really like the people that want bundles they just want peace of mind; they want to know that they can click add to cart once and get everything they want and Shopify has some apps for it but I don't necessarily trust them as far as inventory management goes because for as angry as people get when something is sold out and they're not allowed to buy it imagine how angry they'd be if Shopify allowed them to buy it and we didn't actually have it right because one of these apps malfunctioned or, or, or we oversold a bundle or something like that which thankfully we haven't really had many issues we, we actually oversold uh, I think the strangers wrath but it only affected 30 people so thankfully we really haven't had that issue in the past
1: gotcha um no one one concept misconception or maybe it's correct uh, that i definitely wanted to clear up is a few people i mean is this your guys main job is this your day job or is this like a secondary job for you guys
0: at, at this point it's our it's our main job i worked as a community college teacher for the first year of starting this up. And I also ran my development company, my dear studios. So I was doing three different jobs at the same time as starting this up. But now we're putting out so many games. Basically, if I have any other work, I, I would hold everything up and put everybody else at risk. Cause now we're selling enough things and we're doing enough where we actually have, you know, paid people shipping. We have customer support people dealing with customer support so we can offer a good quality of service across shipping and customer support. Uh, and basically what that means is now we have an incredibly ridiculous payroll. So we're not paying ourselves very much. We're still in the same place we were before where we're just, you know, making an average amount of money. But we're paying our shipping people a good amount of money, we're paying our customer support people a good amount of money, and the, the quality of service that they're, they're giving people I think is reflecting that pretty well because so my shipping people are packing things really nicely customer supports uh, a lot better than when it was just douglas answering emails when it was just him it was miserable my my answers got shorter and shorter yeah it was like just a letter and then you'd hit send they'd be like hey can you do this okay
1: yeah it's amazing how uh how your patience wears on you as the years go on i think you know i used to have detailed responses to everybody that emailed and now very often i just send a link to something and i just i wish i had the time but it's sleep starts to become a luxury after uh, you know you're working more than one job and one of them starts to take up more time so you guys yeah, it's definitely have my sympathy there but
0: it, it's crazy when I was doing development limited run and the teaching thing it was just nuts I had I had no time for anything it was uh, it, it took a huge toll on me and it, it was kind of ridiculous I had to step back and just say I, I need to focus on on something I still run my dev site but most of that's kind of automated because we've made Connections through Limited Run to find contract work. So thankfully, it's kind of just like, you know, they're just working on other people's games, and now I don't really have to worry about anything in terms of managing because the other companies are managing. So it just allows me to focus on Limited Run kind of exclusively.
1: Okay, so um, uh, I'm aware of the time because I know you guys are swamped. I don't want to take up too much more, but uh, this will go out right after the Night Trap um, pre-sale. So, uh, any, any, any predictions or anything that, you know, you're mindful of the fact that this will air three days after the whole night trap thing. Um, cause you know, I I'm sure I know a ton of people that are interested in that. And, you know, is there any, I, I don't know how the best way to put it, like any predictions, I guess you guys, you know, do you think you have a, a good hold on how many people are going to order, you know, everything that they need
0: to, or. I think that, I think that we, hope we are in a good spot. I hope with the games we're in a good spot, but I think with the vinyl, it's going to sell out really fast, and people are going to get really mad. And there's not a lot I could do on that. We ordered the vinyl like I think we've had that sitting in our office for like five months now. It's been here a while. So it's yeah. it's a matter of like at this point, like I've seen the hype, and I can't I can't go back and change that one. And I think the Blu-ray with the My Life in Gaming documentary is going to sell really well. And it's going to completely exceed my expectations. Um, and that's kind of a, a matter of, like, I talked to Corey and Try, and we all kind of felt like, hey, 1,000 copies seems like a good amount. Uh, usually when we sell a soundtrack with a game, we only sell about 600 copies. So it's, like, anywhere from 600 to, to 700, depending on the title. So we thought, hey, this Blu-ray, it's Night Trap. It could probably do a little bit better than that. It'll probably sell about 1,000. Um, so that might be a mess depending on how demand actually is for it gotcha I think, I think the collector's edition might still end up being uh, a complete mess but again on that we're, we're locked in terms of production we manufactured the boxes um, uh, I guess it was like a month and a half at this point they just had them glued and ready to go um, at the factory because we didn't want to get stuck waiting for them like we did with Silver Case which mm-hmm. was another game we put up for pre-order that ended up being a little bit of a nightmare, we had to delay it twice, both times by very small amounts, and we got, like, burned at the stake by people over de- the the very slight delays, so now we're very, yeah. very scared about having any kind of delay on anything, uh, unless it's completely out of our control.
1: Um, well, the delays are a completely different beast because, uh, especially in the past few years, how many of, like, the, the big named Kickstarter games were just, you know, delayed for two years or something, so... I do uh, I do understand people's fear of they hear it's, something's going to be delayed a month, and they go, yeah, right. It's going to be delayed two years, just like those other games. So that that'll go away soon, hopefully, when people stop doing that. But a delay is certainly different than not being able to get it at all.
0: Yeah, I, my my fear with delays though is that we have some some other people that are doing the same kind of thing that we're doing, other companies, and they're kind of known for delays. And, like, it's it's so bad that that's basically their reputation. You mention their name to collectors or, or gamers, and they're like, oh, okay, yeah, if I order from them, I'm going to get it, like, 12 months after I bought it. Mm-hmm. And there's this this creeping fear with us that if if we do pre-orders, if we do anything like that, we're going to get that same reputation. With some people, we already have it because of Skullgirls. There's there's an entire corner of the Internet that thinks that we ran away with the Skullgirls' money and we're on some island in the Bahamas uh, sipping sipping margaritas and laughing that we got everybody's money on that but that's not enough money. Uh, yeah. <laughs> A it's not A to have our own private island, but 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 B, we, we, we gave the developers yeah. we gave the developers that money. They they have the money. We're we're just waiting on the builds to manufacture it so we can get, get it out there. Like there's nothing I want more in the world right now than to ship that game out. Now that's, um.
1: You guys mentioned vinyl before, and that's something that I know for a fact uh, takes a very long time to get pressed, and uh, especially if you want it done right and high quality. And there's really nothing you could do about that. I mean, that's even if you're you know a bigger named band that really wants to put out vinyl on the album release day. That means six months before that thing hits. You want to put your orders in just to make sure. Um, what is the average turnaround time for like a PS4 game? Is that you know?
0: PS4, it can, it can vary. It depends on the, the season and the, the time of year, basically. Right now, Sony's in peak season, and we're experiencing manufacturing times that are from two to three times as long as normal. And, and normally, we're looking at like three to four weeks on PS4. That's, that's what we'd get uh, during slow times. But right now, during peak season, when they're manufacturing like Call of Duty, Destiny, Assassin's Creed, all those games that have million-plus print runs... Basically they're having to find time to they have to find time to squeeze in our two thousand or five thousand print runs into the production line. And and we're just experiencing kind of crazy manufacturing times right now and we're tied to contracts with developers where basically we have to get these out in the X time or get them up for sale at least, get them their money. So we're kind of getting getting hammered by developers to release before we have things manufactured. But at least in the case of this, I have the manufacturing orders in and I have ship dates from Sony, which is the biggest thing for me. Uh, if I, if we do like a manufacturer to demand, the thing that I'm most scared of with pre-orders is that we put it up for pre-order and I say, hey, it's going to ship in five weeks. And then something goes terribly wrong at Sony and it has to ship in, in nine weeks, ten weeks. And every time I have to delay the game by a week, we're getting hounded by the people who bought the game like can't you do anything right and basically we get this we get this this thing where people say uh even if we tell them like hey it's 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 something that happened at the factory they say that's just you passing the blame even though we're trying to be transparent we're trying to be honest we're trying to say this is what's happening a lot of people won't accept it unless we say it's our fault we did it even though in a lot of cases it's not and when it has been our fault we've been very 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 willing to accept that like with silver case
1: yeah i have um i have a hard time sympathizing with those people because it, it, and well let me just if this was your first game that you've ever done uh, i certainly wouldn't be slinging mud but i could at least understand people's fears and worries but you guys have you know uh,
0: uh, how many games have you put out at this point a lot so I just I mean I just ordered I just ordered number 80, 82 from Sony so right. so, so if, if
1: you were an unreliable company you wouldn't have made it to 20 let alone 82 so the fact that you guys already have a reputation for delivering high quality stuff if somebody starts complaining that there's a, a delay that's completely out of your hands, especially being as transparent as you were I personally maybe I'm wrong but I would have zero sympathy for that whatsoever. You have a proven track record. You know, you guys always deliver. You, you deliver what you say. And if something's out of your hands, it's like, eh, well, you know, what do, What do you want me to do? Cry about it? It's just there's nothing. It, you'll get it. It's not up to, you know, it's not up to us. And I know I, maybe I'm just a little jaded because I've been involved in a lot of pre-orders and even taking a purchase order. I mean, that last company I was in, when we took our per- first purchase order for like $20 million, there were seven of us. I mean, that's yeah terrifying
0: <laughs> yeah i think absolutely terrifying i think I, i'm in that same camp where you know i order stuff from gaijin works i i, I ordered class of heroes 6 and or, or Summon Night 6 and class of heroes 2 and 2g from him uh and each of those games has taken a, a year to, to ship from when i bought them with no updates whatsoever and i don't care I trust that, hey, this is the guy that ran Working Designs. He's going to ship the game eventually. So mm-hmm. I just need to just trust that it's going to happen. But I think we live in the age of Amazon, the age of instant gratification where yes. you know there's sensible people like, like us out there who know that, hey, good things come when you wait. But then there's also people who just – they want it immediately and they don't understand when – you know, it's it's going to be delayed, and there's things that happen that are outside of people's control, and and that's just how it is.
1: Have you guys ever? Con- I'm sure you have, because this is what you do, which your business is. But have you guys ever considered like overflow orders? So you order, you know, let's just say you order a thousand of something, and then they sell out within an hour, but the sales are still skyrocketing. So you just, you know, in big flashing yellow lights on the website, you know. We're sold out. This is now back ordered, you know, eight to 12 weeks. And that, that way you supply your customers immediately. And then you still could supply the people that need it, you know, for the next five hours or whatever to yeah, the I end think of the day.
0: Something that I just talked to our customer support rep about, I mean, this is not something that we're we're like set on. But it's something that I think we'd ask our audience about at least is saying like uh, basically whenever we put up a game, have have some kind of like – Thing on there that says like, if if demand exceeds this supply within X amount of time, we'll add X number of units that will ship, whenever. So people still know that there's a set run size, but that set run size could grow to another set run size, basically a maximum, if demand has exceeded things. I think we still need that set limit because one of the problems we run into at that point, is the people that bought it earlier with the set limit are now mad that there's no set limit. And I saw this with the uh, the Final Fantasy XV Ultimate Collector's Edition where Square was like, it's limited to 10,000 copies. And then it sold out in like five minutes and they were like, never mind, we're reprinting more. And then I just saw like their Twitter exploded with people saying like, Screw you, Square. I can't believe you're making more of these. Granted, I think everybody kept their order
1: in the end. That's a collector culture, not a gaming culture. Yeah. And that's what you guys need to decide what your focus is. Because if your focus is for the gamers and for the community, then having people say, screw you, now my thing isn't worth three times as much on eBay, doesn't matter. But if you're catering to the collector culture, that's kind of what you're aiming for, just so you could boost that kind of uh, yeah, I
0: think- hype. That's what I was that's what i was getting at earlier is basically it's a balance where we have to we have to cater to both audiences in order to sell the units that we need to sell to make developers the amount of money that they want for this to be feasible especially if we want to go on to working with bigger companies like capcom and square and any of those guys is we need to be able to sustain really large unit runs and those those run sizes are going to need participation from collectors speculators resellers and gamers mm-hmm. and as unfortunate as it is that we need to somewhat cater to resellers, we do because we need those extra units to sell to allow us to hit those higher order quantities. And I think all of that kind of comes down to figuring out what the right run size is for each game that can cater to that. And it's never going to be an exact science for us. But right. we need right. that as unfortunate as it is, we need that that component of urgency rather than the open pre-orders because the open pre-orders just kind of leave out the collectors and the, or the the speculators the resellers a lot of the collectors may still show up but not nearly in the same force that they would with the limited number and that kind of impacts the, the run sizes down which is unfortunate because if the speculators don't see a return on their investment they stop coming back which sucks that i have to cater to that side of it but it's really a fine, confusing balance of trying to cater to so many different, disparate audiences. Because, in addition to gamers and collectors, a lot of people don't realize that we're we're also catering to this this third audience that everybody forgets about, which is people in rural areas that don't have good internet connections, that like literally have no option to play download games, and this is the only really way to experience some of these games. Some people forget that. That's actually a pillar of our audience. That, that That's like a thousand of the people that order from us. So we want to try to get them in on this too. But it, it's this really, really confusing, complicated balancing act of trying to figure out what the right unit count is for each game. Mm. And I think it's something that as we go on, we're going to grow and get better at figuring out. But there's always going to be times, I think, where we miss it, especially if our audience grows overnight, and, and we don't notice it or a, a particular game is way more popular than we ever would have guessed.
1: Well, my my personal opinion is the fact that your guys attitude is that you're trying to grow and learn and see what you could do and try to find the balance. I think that's that's great and that's what I think that's all anybody could ask for. And I'm really happy that you didn't sit there and go, "Well, no, we're you know, we're limited run games. We're going to put a limited amount for the collectors and screw everybody else." I'm really happy that's not the attitude that you have towards all this stuff and I really do hope you find whatever crazy way to find a happy medium for everybody is. And I, I especially am glad that you're trying to help out the resellers because I don't think, I think people just by nature seem to take the mom and pop stores for granted, especially the ones like, you know, digital press games and jerseys been around forever. And, you know, they don't seem to realize how, how helpful that is that, you know, you bring people in while they're there, they see something they'd like that they don't have. I mean, it, it, everybody wins in, in my opinion when you help out the the mom and pop shops as well so i think
0: that's that's really a big focus of ours right now is growing that that brick and mortar segment of this getting our games into more mom and pop shops not getting our games into GameStop, not getting our games into walmart getting our games into small stores like digital press or lost art video games which is uh just an hour or two away from us um I've always loved mom and pop shops. I collect all sorts of retro games. I keep looking at the Vectrix behind you. Um, it's, <laughs> I, I I love retro games. I love mom and pop shops. And one of the things that I know is a big struggle for them is getting interesting inventory to get people in. It's a constant struggle because uh, a lot of people are realizing that eBay exists now. They don't have to go to these stores to sell their games. And I think that's that's impacting a lot of them. And It's it's great for us to be able to provide a unique item that can get people into those shops and to provide people that want our games and our releases a a better avenue to get them.
1: Mm -hmm. Because
0: it's much easier to show up at a door before a store opens to get a game and wait there a couple hours than it is to wait a couple hours on our website and then watch the game sell out from underneath you. Yeah. And unfortunately, there's not much I can do to fix that. We used to have a cart hold, but... People didn't understand the cart hold. Shopify got rid of the cart hold and moved to the new system. People don't understand the new system. So it's like a lose all around. There, there's nothing we can do there. But when you have games at a, at a retail store, it's perfectly understandable and fair. If you don't get it, it's because you were the last in line or whatever. Like it makes sense. So
1: easier to visualize. Yeah, Much I think easier, you know?
0: expanding that initiative makes a lot of sense. And I think that's really where I think we can help a lot of gamers out rather than anybody else
1: gotcha well i really appreciate you guys taking the time to do this i know you're swamped and uh like i said this will air right after the night trap one so uh, i'm crossing my fingers that uh, everybody i know that loves that game can get one
0: if it, if, if, if it doesn't go well in advance i <laughs> i am very sorry and we are going we will do the same thing that we did with wonder boy we'll come through orders we'll cancel resellers and anybody anybody who is a longtime fan of Night Trap and, and has a, a Night Trap game in their collection or a story about loving Night Trap, seriously, all they have to do is reach out to me or Douglas and kind of share their story. And, and those are the instances where we will go out of our way to make sure that those people get a copy. We'll find a copy somewhere. We'll, we'll, the, the minute something comes back as a returned copy, we'll make sure that it goes to this person. If it's a really special game to them and they really want it, we will make sure they can get it. We always do that for all of our fans and anybody that kind of reaches out to us in, in a passionate and polite way. If somebody reaches out and they're like, F you, this is my favorite game. Like, F you, F you, F you, F you. <laughs> I, I'm not going to help them out, but if somebody reaches out and they're like, hey, uh, Wonder Boy is my favorite game of all time or Dry's first is my favorite game or just the Darius series is one of my favorites, we do what we can to help. We always do, unless it's something where we absolutely can't help. Like, if somebody comes to me and asks about Shantae today, like I'm not gonna be able to help them because uh, our international shipper lost three hundred copies of the game, so <laughs> we have like none here. Oh, that's terrifying. Yeah, it sucks. It it, it was miserable. But <laughs> it's it's one of the it's it's also one of the things that I think people don't realize is when we sell at events like Pax West and people see our booth and they see games and they're like, I thought you were sold out of all that stuff. We have to hold on to like 300 plus copies of every game because what if an international shipper loses 300 copies again?
1: Right. Or yeah. we, ca- we have you know, to... caught in somebody's custom somewhere, or you know, exactly. yeah. so many things can go wrong.
0: So we have to prepare for that. So whenever enough time has passed, we, we take whatever we had held for that, and we start selling it at events or give it to mom and pops or or whatever. So that's where that stuff comes from. In case anybody's ever wondering.
1: Gotcha. And when is the next event that you guys will be at, just to help promote that for you? Uh,
0: Mo Game Con. Yeah, that's that's, that's actually this weekend. Mo Game Con in oh, Missouri. That,
1: that'll miss the uh, that'll miss the episode. Sorry. So <laughs>
0: what's what's the uh, next one? After that, Pax West and Pax West. PAX you know, it's West. big enough where there's a there's a, a big chance that people watching this will actually go there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and usually for big events like Pax, we'll actually have something special there. Um, Usually something like a like a special cover or something like that that we'll sell at packs. Um, and with those special covers, people sometimes get mad at them. But we always we always offer we always try to save at least half the inventory to sell on our site. And then beyond that, we overprint the cover itself so people can get a hold of just the cover sheet if they need just the cover sheet for whatever reason. Because one of the things I saw, one of the things I saw with Night Trap was people were getting really mad that they couldn't get the thirty two x version. Because the 32x version was going to be exclusive to our reward system, and it's literally just a difference in the spine being yellow, like a 32x <laughs> game. And and there's people like, I prefer that. I'm really mad. I can't get it. And I'm like, it's it's, it's just yellow. It's like, but if you really want it, we're going to have just the sheet itself that you can get. And if you want it sealed, I I, I can't help you there. But <laughs> just want the cover sheet for whatever reason, just. I can, I can hook you up with that. We've done that with all of our variants. We've always made more covers than we needed, so we just have that for people who really need it. Very cool. All
1: right, guys. Well, I honestly wish you the best, and uh, I'll be following up with uh, all of your releases that, at the very least, are uh, retro game-related. I'll, I'll, I've always have mentioned them on the podcast, so uh, we'll definitely be keeping in touch.
0: Awesome. Thanks. Again, I appreciate you reaching out. It's It's refreshing for somebody to actually take the time to talk to us, so <laughs> thank you. Take
1: care, guys. You too.
0: Bye.